Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Other Hand is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey Jim, great to be back for the latest edition of The Other Hand. It's in a way a podcast special because we weren't due to record one today, but it behoves us to do so given the seismic political events going on here in the UK. And I do know that there are one or two other things of importance that we can also include in this pod. We won't make it just about the UK, but let's start there and spend half or two-thirds of the pod, talking about the great comeback of what who has been christened the centrist dad, David Cameron. Rishi Sunak has ennobled the former Prime Minister of the UK. He is now, I believe, Baron David Cameron, an instant ennoblement, and he is going to be Foreign Secretary. So on that precedent, Jim, I guess you must be thinking of Enda Kenny being made a senator and being brought back as Tornister. Would that be a good idea? Uh, probably not. Uh, Enda Kenny, I think, did a fine job as Taoiseach. Uh, I was never a huge fan, but I think he did a fine job. The thoughts of bringing him back at this juncture, I would find pretty bizarre. You know, if if you think about where David Cameron is coming from, he was Prime Minister from 2010 to 2016, uh, resigned in the aftermath of the disastrous Brexit referendum, which he made a total dog's dinner of. I guess the first mistake was calling the referendum, but I think the bigger mistake was the manner in which uh, his side actually fought that referendum. But anyway, um, here he is back. He was also embroiled over the last couple of years in a major lobbying scandal for his the company. He, he, was, he was directly lobbying government on behalf of a financial services company he was working for. Um, absolutely bizarre stuff. It's it's actually very hard to interpret what's going on, what it all means. I mean, I, I think you could start with the Suella Braverman situation. Um, she, as you know, famously commented recently that rough sleeping is a lifestyle choice. And I saw the inimitable Piers Morgan this morning tweeting that Suella Bradman will be fine. Being jobless is a lifestyle choice. So I think that summed it up pretty well. 
Yes, Jim. As you know, it's not just the lobbying scandal that has got David Cameron's fingerprints all over it. He's responsible for all sorts of messes, not least the one the UK is in at the moment, the one that we spoke about in our last pod, because he and his then Chancellor of the Exchequer, way back in 2010, initiated something called austerity. Do you remember that? I sure do, yeah. And that was something, of course, that infected not just the UK, but lots of different countries in lots of different ways, including Ireland. And at the time, this is not hindsight, viewing this through the the, the rearview mirror, lots of economists, including me, said that austerity was unnecessary, it was economically wrong-headed, and was going to lead to trouble, as indeed it has. And we could talk about that all day. But one of the main consequences of that many years of austerity of, of those two, with no democratic mandate, trying to shrink the size of the state, is that they left the UK's public sector, public services, in an absolutely parlous state. It's not just lack of funds that uh, have wrecked UK public services. There are lots of factors, but money is right up there. Um, if it isn't number one, it's very close to being it. And being starved of resources, of course, will affect any provision of services and the public sector is not immune from that and so he bears responsibility for that but the west's withdrawal from involvement in syria many years ago was partly not only partly down to him and key votes that he called for in the, in the uk parliament and that encouraged barack obama to resile from his red lines and there's a whole story there about leaving syria to the russians and of course there's brexit which you have rightly highlighted as perhaps his number one legacy. So it's a curious decision. And uh, on one level, I think you could interpret it as the UK government just flailing around, a government that's long past its sell-by date, simply trying to come up with a gimmicky new thing. Or on the other hand, sorry to pun, but you could say that it's very, very clever. Because David Cameron will do a number of things for Rishi Sunak. The first thing is, in this reshuffle, we're talking about David Cameron. Uh, You mentioned Suella Bravman, but we're not going to do a podcast about Suella Bravman, which we might well have done, given the events in London over the weekend, those horrendous scenes in Whitehall and the controversy over Suella's Suella's, uh, having a go at the Metropolitan Police and all that good stuff. But instead, we're talking about David Cameron And that in itself, I think, is one objective that Sunak is trying to achieve. He certainly prompted everybody to say, wow, Rishi is capable of being bold and radical, whereas we were getting used to the idea of this safe, cautious man that that dithered for ages over decisions, not least to sack Suella Bravman. Cameron is going to appeal to a certain demographic, particularly the blue wall voter in southern England, in the home counties, in places like Surrey. Uh, quintessentially conservative voting places normally that the Tories were very worried about losing. And there's a kind of long story short, there are a lot of people in those constituencies, particularly, as I say, Southern England, who will look at David Cameron, sigh with relief, say, centrist dad is back. Here's somebody that sounds and looks like me. I think it signals that Sunak wants to give up on the culture wars initiated by Boris Johnson, continued by so many others. Uh, But it's a curious decision, Jim, because I think that if you were a Tory MP, backbencher or cabinet minister today, you'd be listening to people like me and many others who've been saying for ages that the problem that Sunak has is that all of his backbenchers, all of his cabinet, with very few exceptions, they're not even second rate, Jim. They they can just about make third rate. 
as a descriptor. So I think it says a lot about the state of the Tory party that there isn't a deep pool of intellectual, political big beasts in which Sunak can fish. So people are going to take this in any one of a number of directions. All sorts of different interpretations have been put on it. I think that it it has the potential to be a vote winner for Sunak, actually. Uh, Another curiosity is that Sunak, of course, is a committed Brexiteer. David Cameron, although he called the Brexit referendum, was, I presume still is, a committed Remainer. So it's going to anger the Tory right. There is speculation that the right wing of the Tory party could send some famous letters to the 1922 committee and demand uh, Sunak's head. I I doubt that somehow. I don't think there are enough of them. And I don't think even the Tory party, even in its current unbelievable state, is capable of yet another leadership battle. But who knows? Um, This is going to be very interesting over the next few weeks to see where the opinion polls land, to see whether or not it gives Sunak a boost. I wouldn't be surprised if it does. But it it is an extraordinary, extraordinary uh, political development, one that took absolutely everybody by surprise. Literally nobody saw this one coming. Uh, One consequence for Ireland, I think, that is potentially very important is that on Wednesday we have the decision by the UK Supreme Court on whether or not the forced removal of refugees to Rwanda, Braverman's famous policy, um, is legal or not. And the thinking was, when she was still in office, that if it ruled, if the Supreme Court rules that the forced Uh, movement of these poor people to Rwanda was illegal, that she would demand the UK government takes it out of the uh, European Convention on Human Rights as a way around the Supreme Court's judgment and a legal device to still allow for deportations in the manner that she dreams of. And one of the consequences of the UK coming out of the European Convention on Human Rights, we think, is that the Windsor Agreement which I'll ask you now to just remind our listeners about the importance of the Windsor Agreement, uh, would be toast because, of course, Europe uh, would not like that at all. It's, I think the mem- UK's membership of the European Convention on Human Rights is important for Ireland generally. So what would happen? how would the Irish have taken it, Jim, if the uh, Windsor Agreement fell on the back of whatever Suella Brahma could have done next? How important is the Windsor Agreement to Northern Ireland and indeed Ireland as a whole? Yeah, I think, Chris, as you say, the Supreme Court judgment, which is due on Wednesday on the plan to send asylum seekers to Rwanda, uh, was going to be incredibly significant because, uh, as you say, if the Supreme Court had ruled this was illegal, uh, there was a strong possibility that Braverman would have tried to take Britain out of the European Convention on Human Rights. And as you say correctly, that throws the future of the Windsor Agreement up in the air. So the consequence of that would be that any sort of um, settlement we've we've achieved since Brexit in terms of the Northern Ireland relationship with Great Britain and indeed the Northern Ireland relationship with Ireland um, would be seriously damaged. And I, I think the political system here certainly would have regarded this as an incredibly negative development uh, that could seriously threaten, indeed, peace on the island. So I think Braverman being sacked from the same job twice in 13 months, uh, unfortunate from her perspective, but um, I think it's probably a positive move. And I think bringing Cameron back in, and given that he has not been involved in political life 
since about 2016, 2017. Um, it did catch everybody by surprise, but he does certainly represent a move towards the centre. Um, as, as you said, he was um, a remainer, one assumes he'd be even more of a remainer at this stage, given uh, the mess that Brexit has turned out to be. So uh, it, it's probably a positive development. On the other hand, pardon the pun, Chris, um, the Foreign Office is probably not that significant at the moment. I mean, James Cleverly is probably the most important person in Cabinet at the moment, given his new position replacing Suella Braverman. I think that's where all of the fun and action is going to happen over the next couple of years. I, I think that's right, but it depends through which lens you're looking. Uh, obviously, most people here are very inward-looking and are just concerned with the economy, the state of public services, all those things that you and I have talked about. But the foreign policy scene, about which many people may not be that interested, is, of course, very, very active, because we have two very live wars going on in Ukraine and in the Middle East. We have relationships with China. Uh, we have potential flashpoints in many other parts of the world, actually. There are things going on in, in the wider Middle East, uh, the Iranian, various Iranian-backed militias are attacking United States troops in their various bases around the region, and the U.S. is retaliating. Uh, we have the uh, spy agencies of the West are briefing that Xi Jinping has told the Chinese armed forces to be ready for war by 2027, and by war he means an invasion of Taiwan. As we have said before, that doesn't mean he's going to do it. But the mere fact that I think it was the head of the CIA briefed the media relatively recently on this very topic. So there there are lots and lots of things for the foreign secretary to do and to be involved with. And I, one I of the reasons... Chris, but isn't, sorry for disturbing you now, but for interrupting, isn't the most pressing problem facing the UK something we saw on the streets of London at the weekend? I mean, community tensions are at an incredibly dangerous high at the moment. And the Home Office has responsibility for that. So I guess the immediate focus is going to be on what Cleverly can do to actually diffuse those community tensions. So in a sense, that's what I meant really by the fact that David Cameron's role is less important at the moment. But I, I totally take your point that Britain's relationship with the European Union, with the States, with China, its attitude towards the two wars that are ongoing um, at the moment, amongst 19 wars actually, but the two, the Ukraine war and the Gaza situation, um, obviously will be incredibly important. But um, it was probably um, a clever move to put cleverly into the Home Office. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure he would have wanted to go because he was deemed to have been doing a good job as foreign secretary and he was said to be enjoying that role uh, as you say the home office is frankly a bit of a graveyard for british politicians and uh, more have made a bags of it than have made a success of it i think it's possible to exaggerate the significance of what was on display horrible display over the weekend this country has always had right-wing lunatics uh, and they are lunatics prepared to do and say really wicked things as we saw down Whitehall on Saturday and that you can go all the way back for example at least to the 1930s and Mosley's black shirts but for the most part this country has managed to keep them boxed off we've had 
political parties called the, the National Front, the, the, the British National Party, the English Defence League, and remnants of these organisations still exist now. So uh, they've never become mainstream, I think, is the, is, is the message there. And it's important to state that, they A, they've always been around, so there's nothing new here, and they've always been prepared to do dreadful things, and in particular say dreadful things and make a lot of noise on these sorts of marches. But by and large, the British state, British civil society has managed to keep them in check and they've never gone mainstream. And I don't sense that these beliefs are going mainstream. And in a way, Cameron's return is a reflection on that. Because what Rishi Sunak is saying, that this polarisation of society, which is taking place not just in the UK, has got to stop. And by bringing a centrist, albeit a very flawed centrist, in my opinion, back to one of the great offices of state, is a declaration that these culture wars, these wars of division, these wars of identity, which we have spoken about so many times, are over, at least as far as he's concerned. There's still plenty in his party who want them to continue. If Boris Johnson was still in power, we would be continuing with him because he was quite clear that he was going to fight the next general election if he was still in office on the basis of these culture wars, which frankly, I think, turn most people off. I mean, we've talked about them because they are becoming so all-pervasive and affecting us in our daily lives, but that, but most people don't want them. Most reasonable people accept that there is an agenda for greater equality and all those other good things that has been taken too far in some quarters. But the extremes to which these debates have gone, I think, turns people off rather than on. They find it unattractive. They don't join parties or political movements or organizations that want to promote either the hard left or the hard right. Britain is a country of centrists and quiet centrists, it has to be said. Uh, These extremes have garnered a few more people, a few more adherents, a few more believers. But I I, I think that it's unlikely that uh, that it's going to get much worse. The the 300,000 people that demonstrated in, in support of Palestine were entitled to do so. We have, a, and as you do, a great tradition of free speech and people able to say what they want. There were a few things in that that were dreadful. There were people carrying uh, banners that at, actually had the swastika embedded within them. Um, it was quite awful. But again, it was a minority. Most of the people were uh, making a lot of noise, but in a very peaceful way that not many of them ended up being arrested. The police are looking for those people that were carrying swastikas that were actively calling for Hamas-style events. And so we, we, we had both sides of it over the weekend, um, and I think Cleverly does have a job to continue to contain this. It should be contained. But I don't think this society is as divided, for example, as the United States is. We have our divisions for sure, but we're not yet as bad as the United States. And I so, so certainly hope that we don't become <clears throat> as bad as the United States. We shall see. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. 
Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Clark, that, that's actually reassuring. Uh, two aspects, Chris, I'd just like to um, focus in on a little bit. One is summarizing what we've said about Cameron at this stage. Um, Richie has brought back somebody of a centrist bent, somebody who was a remainer. So presumably that would be good for the solidarity of the Conservative Party. And I'll, I'll, I'll get to the second piece in a second, OK? Uh, but it, it, it would appear, and I, I think I agree with you, that you know it should actually give Sunak some, bo- some boost in the polls. But the second part is, does Sunak really care what he says at this stage? Because at the party conference there in October, he self-described as the change prime minister. He denounced 30 years of consensus in UK politics and policy making. Um, He described Cameron as part of a failed status quo. Um, I could go on and on, but he was a guy clearly that had no time whatsoever for Cameron. And yet he turns around and in one fell swoop brings him back into the centre of the UK political system. So that, that that's one impact. What kind of damage does that do to Sunak's reputation or does it matter what he actually says? This, the other piece that I think is interesting is the reaction of the right-wing Tories that you've mentioned, the Tories that describe themselves as the common sense Tory grouping. They described over the weekend, um, or at least this morning, number 10 as clowns. So how is Sunak actually going to handle that rump of the Tory party uh, that will go berserk? And is there a strong possibility that within 18 months, uh, Suella will be leader of the Conservative Party? Wow, there's a lot of things to unpick there, Jim. In terms of these right-wing lunatics who are criticising what has happened today, in fact, have been criticising Sunak all along. They typically, and almost entirely, are these hard, hard Brexiteers who got what they wanted. But they're the dog that caught the car. Once the dog catches up with the car, what on earth does it do with it? And they haven't been able to deliver their final thing that they always wanted from the hardest of Brexits, which was Singapore on Thames. They wanted this light-touch, deregulated, low-tax, small-state freewheeling, buccaneering, capitalistic economy that even Singapore isn't. Um, And it was always a fiction. And whenever it was destined to come up against reality, real life, it was going to fail. And so they haven't been able, they got what they wanted. They got the hard Brexit. But then when the hard Brexit met real life, their ultimate aim proved to be absolutely unattainable. It was a mirage. It was a fantasy that could never under any circumstances have been delivered. So they are flailing around now talking about their betrayed revolution, as all hard right and hard lefties do when their revolution fails, when it meets reality in the various ways throughout human history that it has done, they are now very embittered and flailing around. And one of the ways in which they're doing that is having a go at Sunak. And remember, Sunak was a hard Brexiteer too. And all of these things, including 
getting closer to the EU via things like the Windsor Agreement, have been on Sunak's watch. And if nothing else, he's proven to be more of a realist than an ideologue. Um, but that's because reality has a habit of catching up with people who actually have to make real life decisions as opposed to just, what do you call them, Jim? Hurlers on the ditch? Hurlers on the ditch, absolutely, Chris. Which is what these people are. Uh, but unfortunately, they're hurling more than um, small missiles. They're hurling rather larger blunt or shall I say sharp sharp objects so they will they will continue to do what they do and they've done it for decades Jim it predates Brexit it even predates the debates over the EU Ken Clark likened these lunatics which have always been present in the Conservative Party to a bunch of crocodiles swimming in a fast-flowing river trying to pursue the Prime Minister or the leader of the Conservative Party paddling away in the canoe trying to steer the party the canoe in a particular direction and the metaphor he describes is that what Tory leaders traditionally done have chucked red meat that he's got stored in this canoe at the chasing crocodiles that manages to keep them at bay for a while. But as eventually, whenever this prime minister or leader runs out of the red meat, the crocodiles come for him or her and devour him, which has been a very good way of describing the history of the Tory party. John Major had a much simpler description of these people. He called them his bastards. And they've just always been around. So they, they, they will they will go for Sunak. I don't think there are very many of them left, actually. I think that that's really um, an interesting numerical question, how many of them actually are there. Uh, and I don't think there are many of them, and I don't think they're that powerful anymore. But we shall see. The bringing back of Cameron uh, raises more questions than it answers. The fact that he was a Remainer, the fact that, as you say, he has criticised Sunak. Sunak has criticised him. Sunak tried at the Tory party conference to relaunch the Tory party. Go figure. Don't laugh. I'm glad you're sitting down. As the change party, the party of change after 13 years of government and bringing back Cameron, who's responsible for pretty much a lot of what has happened in the last 13 years, is a curiosity on top of another curiosity. How can you possibly be the party of change if you've been the ones that are responsible for the need for change? And then you bring back the guy that caused all the things to happen in the first place. So I'm tempted to say it makes little sense in and of itself when you do that backward-looking stuff and ask all the questions about, well, what did Cameron ever do as prime minister? What is he responsible for? My God, there's a long list of total screw-ups, starting with Brexit and all the other things that we've mentioned. But when you look forward and you start talking about centrism, if you start talking about appealing to traditional Tory votes with, that they were in danger of losing in southern England, when you talk about warming to the EU, when you talk about Britain having a sensible foreign policy, uh, the Tory government, for example, has reneged on its previous commitment, which David Cameron was a big fan of, of contributing 0.7% of GDP to foreign aid, for example. It'd be very interesting to see how the foreign secretary, the new foreign secretary handles that. So uh, I think that, you know, th there are various ways that one could spin this. And I can sense the way the Tory party is going to spin it. It's going to be that forward looking agenda that I spoke about and try and get people to stop thinking about David Cameron's past and the, all the various things that he's responsible for. So it could go in either direction. I think that because people in this country are so desperate for something good to happen, for something nice to happen, for something positive to happen, that the idea that we have, A, a grown-up 
in the cabinet. And it's been a long time since anybody thought we had a grown up in the cabinet. You may think that David Cameron doesn't deserve that label, but that's what they're going to try and brand him with. Um, the fact that we have a big centrist, that we have a very experienced foreign policy chief, because although foreign policy isn't the most important thing, as you say, to the domestic UK audience, remember, David Cameron knows Xi Jinping. He knows Putin. He's met Biden several times. He knows all these people. He goes back a long way. So from a point of view of just that narrow perspective of just doing a foreign policy job, you know, he, he does have some reasonable previous yeah, and he did try to set up the UK-China investment fund, uh, which he put on hold because of the deterioration relationship. Um, I, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, Sunak had no choice other than to get rid of Suella Braverman, given her more recent activities. And, and I guess the second thing is the 20-point lead that the Labour Party has in the opinion polls. It remains to be seen what impact yesterday's move has on that. Um before this ever happened today, I was taken at the weekend by comments from the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Jeremy Hunt, um, who strikes me actually as being a little bit of a grown up in the cabinet. Uh, if, may... there was, if there was one, I would grant you that. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, yeah just about. Uh, uh, thank you, Chris. You, you've, but he, you've... But, but he's, he, he is a political heavyweight, but he's economically illiterate. So yeah. it's a cur curious choice of Chancellor of the Exchequer. But, but, but anyway, he came out um, at the weekend talking about the desire to incentivize companies to pull the UK out of the growth stupor that we spoke about in the last podcast, given that the economy flatlined in the third quarter. He has a desire to cut business taxes and the tax that he's focusing in on um, is extending the full expensing capital allowance regime. So in other words, up to 2026, UK companies can write off 100% of expenditure on R&D, machinery, IT equipment, and so on um, against taxation. So he wants to extend that for another year. And indeed, his desire, I think, would be to extend it indefinitely. Um, the Office for Budget Responsibility has said the annual cost of this will be £10 billion sterling. Um, there, there are different views on what sort of fiscal capacity he actually has to expend this type of money on a tax measure. Uh, but he did say as recently as September that the tight fiscal situation meant that tax cuts are virtually impossible. Um, and But in the last couple of days, he said that cutting business taxes is the thing that is most important at this stage. Here we go again with Tory party um, heavyweights coming out with grossly conflicting views. Does it matter what they say? I, I don't think so, because uh, we have a very interesting fiscal debate here that's totally different to yours. Uh, when you... You have your fiscal debates, which, of course, as, as we have said many times, is changing very rapidly with the demise in the growth rate of corporation tax revenues and the slightly shrinking forecast budget surplus that you have. You're fighting about spending money that you do have. Here they fight about money that they still don't have. And what they fight about is how they're going to share out the budget deficit. At least you're fighting about sharing the budget surplus. So it's a, a bit of a nonsense fairy tale debate. The, the UK is in a lot of fiscal trouble if it can't get economic growth going again, and they're not going to be able to make any material changes to taxes. 
the Labour Party knows this, and I listened to a, a debate this morning on the BBC. Uh, they are going to abolish something called the non-DOM tax relief, which is a way of encouraging rich foreigners to come and live in this country and giving them tax breaks, and they're going to take away those tax breaks of all these rich foreigners. And they've got all these grand plans about what they're going to do with the massive amount of revenue that this release of tax revenues is going to create. And do you know what sum of money is involved, Jim? Which they appear to have, in time-honoured fashion, which I know that your government does this as well, but we certainly do it in spades over here. They've clearly spent this sum of money multiple times when each of their different spokespeople stand up and say, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. We know we're going to save the NHS. We're going to have more schools, better paid teachers, better fed kids. Sum of money that's scrapping the non-DOM tax reliefs, £2 billion. £2 billion. Okay. I mean, it's it's a rounding error. In It sounds like a lot of money. It isn't. And if you're modelling... Uh, such as it is, a forecast that a tax change will produce plus two billion pounds. As you know, the error bounds, the error bounds around those kinds of forecasts. It could easily be a negative number. Um, but Chris, do you think the the proposal to extend for some period, if not indefinitely, the the tax treatment of expenses for businesses is that good for business? I don't think business worry too. They obviously factor in taxation to their investment decisions but there's a whole host of other things that are much more important than tax and the the environment in which their business operates uh, the labor market in which they're operating can they get the workers how much will they have to pay them the stability of the policy environment is this is the is the uk an attractive place for foreign direct investment at the moment um, all of these things are much bigger questions than the tax rate applied to their profits. What businesses want to be sure of is a stable, relatively predictable flow of profits going forward, not the, the rate of tax that will then be applied to them. And because nobody knows what the UK economy is at at the moment, nobody knows what the government is at, nobody knows anything, that that's the ultimate uncertainty. That means that if you are somebody thinking of building a factory, building some offices, uh, investing in some software, um, you're either going to sit on your hands and wait for the environment to improve so that you have more visibility about what your business is going to look like and the environment in which it's operating, what that's going to look like, or you'll just go elsewhere to somewhere like Ireland, which has proved to be much more stable and business friendly. Um, I think a lot of investment in Ireland does take place because of taxes. A lot of investment in Ireland takes place not because of taxes. Yeah, and in, in that context, Chris, uh, probably wrap up on the Sinn Féin or Desh at the weekend. I have to say I didn't watch it, okay? Um, I'm not There's that, a surprise, Jim. I'm not that much of a masochist, but I, I, read, about, I read a bit about it and um, you know some of the comments that were coming through was that very clearly Sinn Féin is edging towards the centre because the it is trying to prepare itself for government and it recognises that the one thing it has to do is reassure sort of middle-class types that Sinn Féin won't be um, disastrous for their future lives. In, in that regard, the key themes over the weekend were, number one, uh, a lot of talk about Gaza and indeed some one journalist commented that there was a lot more Palestinian scarves evident at the weekend in Athlone than what would have been the case in the past. Celtic Glasgow Celtic jerseys would have dominated, but they've been replaced by Palestinian scarves. 
uh, and Gaza. They had the Palestinian ambassador on stage, got a rapturous reception. Um, they alluded to what will be their priorities if they get into government. One is housing. Um, and indeed, they've said that housing would be the priority ahead of a united Ireland, uh, which would be quite an amazing development. Healthcare, the cost of living, suggestions made about abolishing property tax, which I would find extraordinary for a party that's always talking about wealth taxes. And given that property is the largest component of wealth in this country, uh, you know, go figure that one. Um, and also talking about rent caps being extended. And uh, there was an interesting article in the Irish Times today, Monday, written by Pat Farrell, who's the head of Irish Institutional Property, about the role that institutional investment has played and will continue to play in the delivery of Irish housing solution. And he was arguing that the rent cap system as currently um, applied is just not good for that. So, but that anyway is the bones of what Sinn Féin are talking about. But as I say, the key theme that comes across is preparing for government, convincing the doubters that Sinn Féin actually won't prove disastrous for the economy. So, uh, is is is, is is suing journalists part of their manifesto? Um, well, there you are. Yeah, you have. A be huge, careful what you say next, please. Uh, I, I need to be very careful with what I said, but. Obviously, the parallels are now being drawn with what um, Orban has been doing in Hungary with press yes. freedom. So or I, maybe it, there's it another parallel, better. Jim. Maybe there's another parallel. You remember I, at the start of the, the show, I said that the model now or the precedent is going to enable Ender Kenny to make a comeback in, into high office. Maybe when Mary Lou is Taoiseach, uh, she can make uh, Jerry a senator and he can come back as Tornister. Of course he could. What do Indeed. you think of that? I think we should probably wrap it there before we get a lawsuit. Yeah, I think we probably should. But the, the, the irony of what Sinn Féin is trying to do with the press at the moment is the fact that for many years, Sinn Féin was prevented from the national airwaves here. You know, there, there was that ban on Sinn Féin representatives in the national, on RTE, for example. Well, given, given our obvious fear that we've just expressed about saying anything about Sinn Féin, given the litigious consequences that might flow. Maybe they'll end up in the same place. Perhaps. Uh, Chris, I'd just like to wrap up by um, talking about Warford FC. Um, That's not funny this, sticks, is it? No, this is not funny sticks, Chris. It's the old football. Okay. And um, Waterford have just got promotion to the Premier Division here. So Congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I believe the Aviva sold out for the Cup Final. It did indeed yesterday, yeah. That's great to see, yeah. isn't it? It was fantastic, actually, and uh, uh, quite happy to see St. Pat's win. I go down to Richmond Park occasionally, some very good friends who go along there. Um, but, yeah, it was a great spectacle yesterday, and, uh, yeah, it, it is good to see because... Uh, uh, I'd like to see League of Ireland soccer getting stronger and stronger. But um, yeah, long, uh, I went to a club rugby game here in the UK yesterday, and it was only attended by four thousand people. I actually went to see Leinster play. Um, All against Dragons, yeah, in, in Newport, um, and it was a real community-based uh, occasion. Uh, there, you know, people. It was totally different to the international rugby scene. Yeah, people having a few pints. Nobody was getting pissed. Uh, there were loads of kids there. Everybody was having fun. Nobody minded too much that the home side lost. 
very friendly atmosphere um, and a thoroughly enjoyable experience. Club games, whether they're rugby, football, cricket, whatever sport you're into, I think the club scene is a much nicer experience than the international scene, to be honest. I, I, w- I would 100% agree with you on that, actually. So, Chris, great to talk again. Um, I, I, I think the UK political system will continue to be the gift that keeps giving. So we will be back. You never know. We might be back sooner rather than later, particularly if Sunak faces a vote of no confidence this week from his own party. But let's see. Thanks, Jim. Cheers. Thanks, Chris. Bye. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. hope you enjoyed it our back catalogue of podcasts can be found on our Substack account www.cjpeconomics.substack.com or on podcast platforms such as apple and spotify if you would like to listen to the podcast free of advertisements you can sign up to our Substack account comments and feedback are much appreciated 